G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. Well, outspoken Federal MP George Christensen is joining us today at a time in his political career where he's even more inclined to say what he thinks. It might be because he's decided to retire at the next federal election. He's one of the rare breed of federal politicians who's unashamedly Christian in his approach to lots of the big ethical issues. He's been a fierce pro-life advocate behind the Born Alive Protection Bill, wanting to enforce life-sustaining treatment for all babies born alive. And he's even angered his own colleagues more recently for comments, uh, let me just say, calling Victorian police officers thugs uh, for their heavy-handed treatment of protesters in Melbourne against mandatory vaccination. He's also been accused of spreading disinformation or misinformation about coronavirus and has called for an end to COVID-19 restrictions. Well, an opportunity today to interact with one of the most outspoken MPs in the federal parliament today, George Christensen. He's the member for Dawson, representing the people of the Mackay region in Queensland. Uh, George Christensen, a special welcome along to 2020. Good morning, Neil, and God bless you and your listeners. Lots of things to talk about today, George, and we'll get into some of those really controversial issues as we go, but let's start with an update. Last time we were talking about your Born Alive Protection Bill, uh, wanting to enforce life-sustaining treatment for all babies born alive. Uh, Where are things at with your bill? Well, look, I'm pleased to say that we're able to introduce that into the federal parliament, so it now actually is a bill sitting before the parliament uh, uh, awaiting you know, something to happen. I, I was able to move that uh, bill and it was seconded by uh, Vince Connolly, a uh, Member of Parliament from uh, Western Australia, a Liberal member over there. Uh, and um, look, the problem with private members' bills is that government really controls the agenda for uh, what goes on, what gets debated and what gets voted on in Parliament. So it really would need the government to actually... Uh, uh, back the bill to be uh, debated and voted on. That's yet to happen. But what I can tell you now and tell your listeners is that uh, quietly uh, a number of government MPs and senators have come to me expressing a great deal of support for this initiative. And uh, they've told me that uh, they're willing to pick up all the material that I have collated on this issue and carry on the fight for those uh, vulnerable young babies uh, that, are, that are born uh, mostly prematurely as a result of abortion procedures and ensure that they have appropriate medical treatment. So there is um, hope. It's, it's, it's probably a bit off in the distance, but there's hope that this issue will be, uh, uh, will be litigated further by other members and senators. Well, I imagine that there is possibility here that uh, there might be some that say, let's just leave this 
on the table for a long time and things will just fizzle out because George will be gone because, hey, George, you're <laughs> intending to retire at the end of this term of parliament. Uh, some might yeah, be thinking, well, we'll just we'll just hold this over and before you know it, George will be gone. Oh, but the sad news for them, that, that, that they might be right on, on, the, uh, on the gone front, but the sad news is there's other MPs and senators within the government that are, are really wanting to continue prosecuting the case. So, uh, you know, I'm, uh, I'm going to be meeting with them over the uh, remaining weeks uh, of Parliament in this year and um, imparting all of the, uh, the background information uh, and, and details uh, to them so that they can t- continue on the fight for life. And, you know, people in that group uh, uh, that, that probably I can name would be uh, Senator Matt Canavan and uh, Vince Connolly MP, um, Senator Matt Canavan actually has proposed his own uh, private member's bill that uh, uh, he's going to put up in the Senate if he hasn't done it already, and that is uh, uh, removing Medicare funding for sex selection of of babies. And, um, you know, uh, uh, he makes the, uh, uh, the quite um, humorous line and what is actually a dark issue that, um, that you know, if, 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 if nowadays we can't... Uh, uh, that you know, we we announced that the baby's a boy or a baby's a girl, and we've apparently misgendered it. Uh, how dare we do it in the womb? So uh, uh, you know, but it is a serious issue, and he's looking at ending Medicare funding for those abortions which are based on the sex selection. We'll try and monitor that along. Look, there's real momentum now, perhaps more momentum than there has been for a decade or two, given what's going on in the United States, in Texas, where they've banned abortion because they say, well, when there's a heartbeat, there's a baby there. And uh, that's that's causing all sorts of controversy right across the whole United States and perhaps right across the Western world. Uh, Is that momentum catching on anywhere here, do you think? Look, I think it's yet to catch on. I think that the... Uh, uh, unfortunately, we've been on the back foot, right, uh, in Australia in recent times. I mean, we've seen real sort of radical liberalisation of abortion laws to the point where, essentially, in, in a lot of states, we've got abortion on demand, you know, without pretty pretty much without any real sort of barrier to getting it. Uh, certainly, that's the case in Queensland and in Victoria, uh, New South Wales, fairly similar. South Australia, there's a few little safeguards. Uh, but, you know, we, we've started seeing this sort of, uh, really the pendulum swinging far too far in the way of abortion on demand. I'm always a believer that the pendulum has to swing back at some stage. I think that America's there at the moment where you've got um, Texas doing what it's doing, the Supreme Court allowing it, essentially. Uh, so that's, uh, that's almost a decision in itself, which... Uh, flies in the face of Roe v. Wade, and I think we've got Donald Trump to thank uh, for selecting the right uh, Supreme Court justices, actually. Hopefully we will see the pendulum swing back in Australia, and uh, things like this bill that I'm putting forward become reality. Uh, Things like uh, ending um, not just Medicare funding for sex selection abortion, but hey, um, why should you and I and your listeners, who probably disagree completely, with abortion, have our taxes actually funding it? Uh, I think we should have Medicare funding for all abortions ended. A big ethical issue in there. And there might be listeners who have a question or a comment, even a critique 
I want to open our talkback lines and let listeners in on our conversation today. Listeners might like to contribute. You might have a question for George Christensen. You might have your own thoughts. And let's open up the agenda to anything that listeners might like to raise today so far as the federal government goes. So 1-800-316-316 to join in our conversation. I do. I want to touch on vaccinations today too, and particularly mandatory vaccines. You've been outspoken uh, on issues around mandatory vaccines. It's one of those things that a lot of Christians are concerned about. George, uh, what are your what are your uh, your latest thoughts on uh, on mandatory vaccinations as that now is growing around Australia? Yeah, yeah. And sorry, I hope you don't hear that helicopter flying overhead. <laughs> I'm sitting out in the veranda in Mackay here, and there's a emergency helicopter flying overhead. But uh, look, um, uh, regarding mandatory vaccinations, this is. Uh, this flies in the face of, of human rights. Now, it also flies in the face of what the government said at the start of this, uh, this whole thing. Prime Minister said straight up in the start of the pandemic when we had these vaccines that were mooted that they would not be mandatory. It would be a voluntary program. Now, that's, that gets the big green tick for me uh, because it's all got to come down to free and informed uh, consensual choice in this matter. Because um, uh, we, we are dealing with, I mean, and look, uh, if someone wants to get the vaccine, go and get the vaccine. If someone doesn't want to get it, they don't have to. Uh, and particularly, I say they shouldn't have to in this case because this is under provisional approval by the Therapeutic Goods uh, Administration, right? Uh, provisional approval. We've got to remember that fact. There is no long-term safety testing on these vaccines. So people have legitimate concerns around it now. It's not concerns that should just be dismissed as anti-vaxxer. I've had all of my vaccines, apart from the COVID-19 one. Um, my, my daughter's had all of her vaccines that she's had up until this point, as my wife. Uh, I'm not an anti-vaxxer by any stretch of the imagination. Um, uh, but I have some concerns about the lack of long-term safety uh, testing around these vaccines, and so do many other Australians. To have governments state governments mainly, imposing requirements on particular sectors. Uh, uh, to, you know, uh, in order to keep your job, you have to have the jab. Uh, to have private corporations going around doing it, we've had Qantas talking about it or doing it, and we've had uh, now BHP uh, saying they're going to do it. This flies in the face of not just the Prime Minister's statement that it would be voluntary. It flies in the face of both the Australian Immunisation Guidelines found in the Australian Immunisation Handbook and it flies in the face of international protocols that have actually been developed uh, around our rights as citizens. Um, one thing I can refer to, Neil, and it's often overlooked here, uh, so the Universal Declaration on Bioethics and Human Rights, adopted in 2005, says this, any preventative, diagnostic and therapeutical medical intervention is only to be carried out with prior, free and informed consent of the person concerned based on adequate information. The consent should, where appropriate, be expressed and may be withdrawn by the person concerned at any time and for any reason without disadvantage or prejudice. Now, that's an international human rights obligation that's binding on Australia. Uh, I could go over to our, uh, I talked about the handbook and the guidelines in the handbook. 
Uh, well, of course, there are some Australian constitutional issues there that there we've well. unpacked here. The idea of civil conscription, where the government comes between that uh, sacred, almost, uh, relationship between doctor and patient, and uh, even our uh, constitution uh, ruling the idea that that uh, ought never to happen. Hey, we're taking yeah, calls right. today on one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen. 316 You may have a question or a comment. You might have a critique for our conversation, something you want to put to George Christensen. I've mentioned he is a Christian believer. He's very outspoken on a lot of different issues. Uh, the uh, talkback line open, one eight hundred three sixteen three sixteen. What if we let listeners in and uh, help direct our conversation today? George, let's hear from Chris in Gyra in New South Wales. Hello, Chris. Welcome along. Thank you for taking my call today. And I just wanted to say thank you to George for being a standout politician when uh, many of them have laid down on their backs and pandered to the global um, propaganda that is the rollout of the COVID-19 vaccine. I think uh, this what we've been seeing lately, perpetuated by the media and politicians, no jab, no pay, no jab, no job, is one of the most un-Australian things in the history. And I, I really hope all listeners can, next, next election, next state election, next federal election, we've got to remember what these pollies have done to us. And uh, if you want to get the vax, you get the vax, that's great. But as George said, provisional approval by the Therapeutic Goods Administration. And that is really an alarming thing. Chris, good thoughts there. A response from you, George. But Chris is right. It's to say it's un-Australian. Spot on. I mean, uh, I was talking about the Australian Immunisation Handbook. So the guidelines that uh, the Australian nation has for giving out vaccinations. Here's a clear sentence. Vaccines must be given voluntarily in the absence of undue pressure, coercion or manipulation. So tell me, how is that statement, which is supposed to rule the administration of vaccinations in this country, how does that statement in any way, shape or form line up with what state governments are doing with these no jab, no job mandates, with these no jab, no shop mandates? Um, it just doesn't at all. Uh, we have governments now, quite, quite frankly, thumbing their nose at human rights, thumbing their nose and actually guidelines like this that have been laid down and in place for ages. Uh, and um, what's sad about it all, Neil, more than just the politicians doing these, uh, these terrible things and abusing you know, their privileges, governments, uh, quite frankly, is the fact the media has become a cheer squad for it, uh, by and large, with good people like yourself exempted, um, uh, and, uh, and even more sad than that is that the sections of the public that are also cheering it on, uh, I just can't believe how Australians have been so easily able to be swayed into not only throwing away their freedoms, but condemning other people who are actually pointing out that freedoms are being lost uh, and, and that this sort of discrimination is going on. Uh, we've become a very divided nation over this pandemic and, and more so the government's responses to the pandemic. And I might say that over the past 18 months, our primary focus 
at Vision has been on the loss of freedoms, not so much on the health issue with regard to the vaccination, uh, given that uh, Vision has a policy. We say uh, we won't tell you whether you should or whether you should not uh, get a vaccine. But when we can see uh, rights and freedoms being trampled, we've given a lot of airtime to those particular issues and uh, there could be some more of those today. Let's take another call. Greg Bonder, who is one of our regular guests here on 2020, calling in from Family Voice Australia. Hello, Greg. Welcome. A brilliant good morning, man. Actually, good morning, George. Yes, Greg. Great, Greg. More power to you and power to Family Voice Australia. You guys do a brilliant job. Yeah, George, I just wanted to make sure that, look, I hope you're not leaving, but if you are, you know that we're right behind you with the bill. We've written to everybody in, in uh, federal parliament, as you well know. We had, we've had our meetings. But more important, I have to tell you, George, I spoke to the governor's office in Texas, and uh, we're trying to get some... Um, strategy on how they managed to get the uh, abortion uh, banned oh, yeah. almost in Texas. So look, looking forward to getting some details from them. But George, just a quick call to say you're doing a great job, Neil. You know yourself that uh, George is a wonderful Christian man. And if we can get this abortion bill up that uh, George has pro- uh, you know, proposed as a private member, bill, then we're 100% behind you, George. <laughs> George, thanks, Greg. <laughs> well, Greg Bondo, yeah. uh, thanks so much for your call, Greg, and uh, an example there of how organisations like Family Voice Australia work hand in hand with our political system too. And uh, obviously, your door is open uh, to someone like a Greg Bondo uh, from Family Voice Australia, but uh, a lot of other pollies not necessarily quite so open to hear a Christian viewpoint on these things. Any thoughts on that? George, uh, yeah, are, yeah. Are, are, are our federal politicians open? Do they have a door open for when the Christian organisation like Family Voice Australia or the Australian Christian Lobby comes knocking? Are they listening? Some of them do. I certainly do. And I know uh, quite a few others uh, in the uh, Liberal and National parties who uh, would listen to them. But, yeah, you're right. It's starting to become uh, a thing where uh, you might have people that, uh, that don't necessarily open their door to... Uh, Family Voice Australia or the Australian Christian Lobby or any other sort of religious group. And we just heard uh, in the interview you did with Bill Muhlenberg, who's another great man in this country, uh, pointing out, um, you know, what is going wrong with our culture. Uh, Him saying that it almost is like you'll only get the door open to you in sort of politically correct, polite society now uh, if you're a Christian who believes in the right things. You're a Christian that just goes along with the zeitgeist rather than... uh, someone that stands up for uh, actual gospel values. So, um, you know, uh, uh, we've got to push against that because uh, it, it, is, it is wrong. And what they, uh, the, the example that you guys talked about, about Damien Perrottet, um, is a key case in point. Could you imagine if Damien was a Jew or was a Muslim? Would those same questions be being asked by the media and same criticisms being directed to him? It's just funny that it's only the Christian religion uh, when someone ser- takes their faith very, very seriously, uh, do these things, uh, do these criticisms come into play? So, yeah, it does need to be pushed against. Uh, and, um, you know, uh, individual people can do that in our democracy. Uh, uh, tell your politician that you, uh, uh, that you want them to be listening to these, uh, these organisations because they represent your views and values. George, uh, coming up to news quickly, let's squeeze in an extra call before the news. Nigel is in Wynyard in Tasmania. Hi, Nigel. Welcome along. Thanks, Neil. Thanks. What are your thoughts? Quickly, um, Nigel. 
Oh, well, I just wanted to get uh, George's opinion on the use of ivermectin as a um, as a treatment for COVID. It's now well known and well proven that not only thousands but hundreds of millions of people are being treated with ivermectin for COVID, and the Australian government just refuses to accept that there is a treatment for COVID. Uh, just a very quick response now and we might come back to this after the news uh, George uh, you've been outspoken on yep. this ivermectin and there's some new drugs that are getting uh, the endorsement uh, of our health authorities uh, but you've been uh, on this issue of ivermectin it goes against yep. the narrative uh, quick response here quick response is while when I say the jury's out there's plenty of studies showing that ivermectin has had some level of efficacy with dealing with COVID-19 and preventing it, uh, and it's wrong of the Therapeutic Goods Administration to have banned GPs from administering this drug uh, to help people who want to uh, prevent themselves from getting this uh, this virus or who want to deal with the virus directly. No agenda item off-limits today. Let's take another call. John is in Victoria. Hi, John. Welcome along. Oh, good morning. How are you? Very well. John, what are your thoughts? Yeah, look, I just, uh, as the date closes here in Victoria for the mandatory vaccination i think a lot of people are feeling pressured and maybe even pressured into just taking the jab unfortunately but i just want to give them hope in in saying that you know you're not alone there's there's tens of thousands of people uh in victoria that just don't know where to go and just a little guidance there are a lot of class action lawsuits being stirred up there are unions starting up like red union is a good one to go to and there's gofundme pages uh such as victoria Authorized Workers Unite Against Mandate. If you're not sure what to do or if you just want to help, these are some of the things you can do and just get together. We, if we stand alone, we don't have a chance. But if we stand united and push back, even against a stubborn Andrews government, there is possibilities of change. So I just want to encourage everyone out there. John, a lot of people being hurt by the pandemic and yes there is a major health issue at hand but as you say class actions and the courts could well be clogged with all sorts of cases into the future Uh, george christensen what are your thoughts for john well he's right there is uh, hope out there unfortunately uh, uh, the situation in the political arena is fairly hopeless i mean we've had uh, state governments impose these draconian measures on uh, on their citizens Uh, the federal uh, politicians have essentially uh, washed their hands of the whole thing, in, although I think that they should have actually stepped in and said that, uh, no, 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 you're not using our Australian immunisation register data to uh, enable any discrimination. Um, but there is hope in the courts. And, uh, you know, I think that that's where it's got, the, the, the battle is well and truly ultimately going to be had in the courts. And uh, I hope that, uh, uh, that justice prevails uh, because people shouldn't, be losing their jobs. People shouldn't be deprived of, uh, of, of being members of society um, because they don't want to take uh, a, a me- don't want to participate in a medical procedure which is only provisionally approved. So, um, you know, uh, to think that this is happening in our country beggars belief, but it is. But hope is out there now. Okay, John, thank you so much for your call. And just before we move on here. George, it's your government here that appears to be recognising that you can't mandate vaccinations for all those reasons we said, 
But taking the uh, other option of just handballing this off to state governments mm-hmm. and to business, so doesn't some of the blame stand at the feet of the Morrison government here? Because uh, the government could have said, no, you can't mandate vaccina- vaccinations right from the beginning. Without a doubt, without a doubt. And I've been quite critical of that fact. Uh, uh, in fact, I put up a, um, a private member's bill alongside uh, Craig Kelly that actually would have barred uh, any sort of form of vaccine passport or uh, vaccine discrimination uh, whereby you had to show papers. That's privacy. No one should be demanding your, uh, your medical records. Uh, so, so it did that and it also stopped discrimination on the grounds of employment or anything else in relation to your medical status. Uh, but yet uh, we tried to get that private member's bill up for a vote and uh, uh, it ended up being me and Craig Kelly sitting on one side of the parliament and everyone else that was in the parliament on the other side. So, uh, uh, you know, there, there, there's there's no hope there politically to get this sorted. The, uh, the, the hope that we have is going to come from... Uh, lawyers that are fighting for justice and our uh, our court system and i hope that uh, you know that that, that that victory for common sense and justice will prevail let's take another call lawrence is in perth hello lawrence welcome along oh thank you very much in the abortion debate there's no mention of the father through for example confirmed by a dna testing of the baby uh, Lawrence, so far as DNA testing of babies, you're talking about uh, the abortion debate, uh, issues yes. around fathers' rights. Uh, any thoughts here, George? Yes. I think, uh, you know, it's, a, it's an interesting topic and uh, quite honestly, um, we have a bit of policy schizophrenia in this country. Um, not that I'm advocating for this first uh, hypothetical that I'm putting up now, but... Uh, we have a system called child support in this country. So if a, if a bloke um, ends up with a woman and she has a child and the bloke doesn't want the child, uh, the bloke still has the full financial responsibility uh, in paying for that child through to the age of 18 through our child support system. At the same time, if uh, a woman falls pregnant to a bloke and uh, the bloke actually wants the baby, uh, the woman has the right to abort the baby. There is a problem here. Uh, I don't know how, uh, if people can't see the inconsistency in those policy approaches, then they're quite honestly blind or uh, or ideologically blind, one of the two. Uh, but but, but the, the, the reality is that fathers should have a say um, in, in the, in, you know, saying, I don't want my child aborted. Um, it, it's, a, it's a child that belongs to both parents, not just one of them. I don't think you'll get too much disagreement from the majority of our listeners today. Lawrence in Perth, thank you so much for your call. Our talkback line is open. 1-800-316-316. No topic uh, that's out of bounds today. 1-800-316-316. One lady called through at an appointment, couldn't hold. She had two questions. I'll just pop these for you, George. She says, why is there a gag order on doctors who have a different view regarding COVID vaccines and treatments. And the second one, why are the adverse effects of vaccines being suppressed? Now, that's a couple of uh, controversial questions. Uh, what sort of response would you have for that lady? Uh, well, it's um, it's only controversial in the, uh, in the current sort of zeitgeist that we're in. And, and she's right. I mean, doctors have been gagged. Uh, they shouldn't be, but this has been a decision made by the Australian 
health prudential, uh, sorry, the Australian Health Practitioners Regulatory Authority. Um, and I know myself that many doctors are afraid to actually say something publicly or to their patients uh, around uh, vaccinations, uh, concerns that they actually hold themselves um, uh, because that they could be suspended or have some disciplinary action taken against them. I don't know how this tallies up with science. I mean, science, if, if, if it's that rigorous um, and the facts are there, you don't need to impose gag orders on people or uh, uh, sin bin them, have them censored on social media and all the rest of it uh, to, to, to prop up an agenda. Uh, so I think that uh, that's that's one thing in itself. She's right. How they're doing it? Well, that's just what the uh, the government agency has determined. I can't do anything about it. I disagree with it. I can't do anything about it. On the other issue, though, Neil, just to refresh my memory, there was the issue of the uh, that was the issue of adverse reactions. Was yes. adverse effects of vaccines being suppressed? <clears throat> well, look, I've spoken to doctors at uh, major hospitals that tell me that that is the case. Um, and there is some evidence around it, actually. There's two different reporting systems in Australia around adverse reactions. Uh, one of them was a survey approach that was done, and I just saw this information the other night. Uh, the survey indicated that there was something like 43% of people who had uh, had the vaccine had, had an adverse reaction. Uh, now, that's a huge number, but that's what the survey reported, and it was an official government agency that done the survey. But if you have a look at the numbers that are officially on the TGA website, it's nowhere near 43%. So they are being underreported. Um, again, doctors in major hospitals have told me that, uh, uh, that they're just simply not reporting them. They don't have to report them. They're worried about reporting them because uh, of what it will, might mean to their careers uh, and reputation. So uh, this is a situation we have in this country is that... Um, uh, you know, we've got people frightened to actually tell the truth. I think there's an issue around where you find relevant evidence for the side that you take. And uh, I had one guest on uh, recently who said, if you want to find out what the medical community is saying, uh, search under PubMed. Uh, so PubMed, uh, and I'm not so familiar with it, but uh, that's where the doctors are uh, seeking their own information. And so you can do searches there and you can find out uh, the numbers of uh, peer reviewed articles, uh, journal articles that are, uh, are about one side or another, and uh, you can find some evidence uh, for which uh, side you're uh, thinking is uh, is the one that's got the most evidence or the most relevant. Uh, let's continue to take calls. Christina is in Hobart in Tasmania. Hi, Christina. Um, hello, I'm just taking you off the speaker. Hi. Thank you for taking my call. Um, look, if I get a bit emotional, please just bear with me. I want to say thank you to George Christensen for telling the truth and standing up and supporting others like Craig Kelly and the likes. Um, I was unlawfully um, terminated from um, my workplace as of from the 17th of um, September because I didn't take the so-called vaccine. Um, um, that was quite a hostile termination as I look at it. Um, you don't have a choice um, and I wasn't willing to take something that I don't know what's going into my body, but I've done my research. I am not touching that. They would have to handcuff me down and force it in me that way, but I'm without a wage. Um, I, um, 
I'm really concerned also about the QR coding checking. It's against the Privacy Act as well too, but yet you see it everywhere, everywhere. And why isn't there something done about it? It's violating our privacy. Uh, Christina, lots of people refuse the vaccine for all sorts of reasons. And, and of course, uh, I think uh, most people listening to us today will be on your side saying you have a right to resist and uh, not accept the vaccine. Others will say the vaccine and all of the detail that's coming out now is showing that it is perfectly safe. So there is going to be two, two sides to the argument. But uh, losing your job because you don't get the vaccine. George, what are your thoughts for Christina? Uh, look, I'm very sad to hear that uh, she's one of those uh, victims of this policy approach. Uh, and I don't know how that at all correlates with keeping people safe, robbing people of their livelihoods, uh, in some cases putting them into poverty or dire mental health situations, is certainly not keeping people safe. And it's not keeping people healthy. So that's one thing. Um as for the issue about QR codes, look at the start of all of this. I'm very happy to you know, pick up a, a, a phone and take a photo of a QR code and go into it to go into a restaurant. And that, because I understand it's a tracing system. But but when is it going to end now? And we've had um, state uh, uh, health um, uh, health officers, uh, chief health officers, that have actually said that it should continue on forever. Well, no, no, it shouldn't. I mean, government does not need to know the time, where we are, what we're doing. Uh, that is called privacy. It's something that we respect in a free society, in a democratic society, or at least we should, and we have up until this pandemic. So uh, I think that it needs to go at some point too, and I think sooner rather than later, uh, because that system has been abused. Uh, while we were told at the start it would never ever be used for anything else other than tracing COVID-19 cases, we know across multiple states that police forces have actually tapped into that data uh, to look at um, uh, potential crimes that have been committed. And that, that, again, this is the thin edge of the wedge. That's where your privacy really does get invaded. Christina in Hobart, thanks so much for your call. Taking calls, 1-800-316-316. Caroline is in Toowoomba, Queensland. Hello, Caroline. Hello, how are you going? Good, Caroline. What are your thoughts? Yeah, um, I've been a registered nurse since 1982, um, some of my credentials uh, are quite out there and um, I don't usually brag about it, but I was South East Queensland Nurse of the Year um, in 1983 and I've done a lot of emergency nursing in my career and aviation medicine and I've extended it to international flying. Um, I would like to say that uh, the Prime Minister actually said and declared that the COVID injection will not be mandated to anybody and he believes in freedom without coercion. Well, I'm sorry to say that we can't and the Queensland Health has uh, mandated the vaccine to be given to all healthcare workers. That includes doctors, nurses, midwives, scientists, ambulance officers, wardies, cleaners, kitchen hands, physios, occupational health, social, it goes on, social workers, radiographers, admin, and there are thousands in Queensland that are refusing to have this jab and putting their jobs on the line. Now, to me, that is the most unselfish act that the healthcare workers can be doing, simply because... Yeah. Um, there has been a failure to protect nurses and healthcare workers in Queensland, the freedom to choose a medical procedure that has not undergone the safety trials of normal vaccines. I give vaccines, I have had all my vaccines, but not this one. Many are going to be walking from the industry 
that they've given their life to. Caroline, you've made some quite amazing points in there and uh, reflecting uh, the uh, medical community in the state of Queensland there. Uh, A quick thought or two from you, George. Some of that ground we've covered. What are your thoughts for Caroline? Well, uh, look, you know, she's she's right. We were told that this was going to be uh, not mandatory. We were told it was going to be voluntary. But I can say that even I saw on the uh, Queensland Nurses Union websites uh, where, you know, they got an FAQ there. Do I have to get the vaccine is one of the questions. And uh, the response is, well, everyone has a choice, but with the choice comes consequences, some of them professional. Well, that's not a free choice, uh, you know, and, and I saw a very funny cartoon the other day of uh, of a mugger holding up a woman and telling her give her my bag and it and uh, you know she's got the choice hasn't she she's still got the choice as to whether or not she gives the mugger the bad the bag but if she if she um if she doesn't obviously uh, something's going to be fired and in the case of uh, of the nurses it's true as well someone is going to be fired if they say no it's not a free informed choice it is coercion it's against the national guidelines on immunization and it's against international human rights obligations um this is going to be played out in the courts this is where it's going to be won and i think that the guidelines and the international obligations and uh, you referred to the constitution that's all going to come into effect Caroline, thank you so much for your call and uh, running short of time. Uh, just to come back to uh, one of the newest developments, the Merck drug company, uh, they've uh, got a drug called Molnupiravir and uh, yeah. it is yet to be approved by the TGA. It's looking very promising. Uh, we were talking a little bit earlier on about uh, the ivermectin drug and uh, there are all sorts of issues there. Uh, whether it's got the stamp of approval that comes from the TGA is important here. Uh, there is a good development there. Is that, do you think, Uh, George, uh, the possibility for people who don't want to take a vaccine and are happy to take a drug. I mean, in some sense, it's the same type of thing. But what are your thoughts around the the latest development from this latest drug? Well, the trial on that drug showed that uh, it was completely effective in uh, in stopping any deaths uh, from from COVID-19. That a a group that took the drug and then a control group that took a placebo and... uh, there was there was eight deaths amongst the placebo group, so no deaths amongst the drug group. So it looks fairly good. I yet to see a bit more information out of it. But the interesting thing is Merck developed ivermectin. Now ivermectin's been panned, uh, including by Merck, um, because it's off patent, so they don't get all of the uh, big money for it. It's just surprise, surprise that Merck comes out with a new drug that I do note does exactly the same thing operates in exactly the same way that ivermectin does so you'll uh, excuse me for being a bit cynical about the whole thing merck will get paid a lot of money uh from this drug as they wouldn't have got paid with ivermectin i noticed pfizer's also coming out with a new drug that has ivermectin as a derivative of it uh it's being mocked online calling it uh, pfizermectin so um you know it's just very interesting how big pharma works and uh all of the dollar signs that come along with it. But yes, look, these drugs probably will uh, be able to treat uh, this virus. And, um, you know, again, that's going to bring into question as to why or why do we need vaccine discrimination and vaccine mandates. 
On the drug for a moment, there's some moral issues around perhaps the thinking of leaders as they outlaw drugs like ivermectin. Uh, The problem is if people are taking ivermectin, and let's even include this new molnupiravir in that same category, uh, the fears have been that uh, people may feel protected when they may not be completely protected. They may then refuse to be vaccinated. And, of course, then there's a reluctance to be tested for COVID uh, or even seek medical care. So I can see the reasoning why they might have uh, outlawed uh, the ivermectin drug. That's exactly what the TGA said in uh, in their ban and uh, off-label prescriptions of ivermectin. They said that uh, we're worried that uh, basically... People are going to uh, who who might then go on to develop COVID nineteen might not go and get tested might not go and get the appropriate uh, hospital treatment that they need, but that criticism could be labelled at the vaccines too. You know, getting a vaccine we have heard from chief health officers in this country and 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 uh, major authorities across the world does not actually stop you from getting COVID nineteen. So if that criticism can be applied to ivermectin and ivermectin's banned then what does it do for vaccines? Uh, you know, Neil, you could go and get a vaccination, be fully vaccinated, develop COVID-19 and think to yourself, no, no, I'm vaccinated. I don't, I don't have COVID-19. There's no possibility I could have it. You could then go out in the community and spread it. Uh, you could not go and get the hospital treatment. You could not go and get tested. So uh, it's, it's, it's a false argument because if that argument leads to the banning of ivermectin, then hell, it should lead to the banning of the vaccines um, uh, by that logic. Yes, uh, there's lots of different ways you can look at that. Hey, I'm going to have to draw a line under the calls. Time is running short and there's one very important issue which I wish we'd uh, raised a little earlier because uh, one of the things that comes with a general health order Uh, and whether this affects uh, everyone who might gather together at any particular point, and there's some, you know, some lifting of lockdowns that are ahead, Uh, but churches and the way that they may be affected by a two-tiered system, the vaccinated and the unvaccinated. Have you given much thought, George, to the way that churches are likely to be treated under general health orders? Because I know that there are a lot of leaders who are saying uh, this may be a time to be uh, exercising some uh, right of uh, even uh, resisting, uh, obeying that law, some uh, uh, some civil yes, disobedience. Any yes. quick, a quick uh, thought and, on, and on churches? Um, churches should resist any attempt to say that unvaccinated people are not welcome in their uh, in their worship services. That is uh, just wrong on so many levels, theologically, um, politically, human rights level. Uh, we all have a right to worship and. Um, we should not be discriminated against. So more power to those church leaders, to the bishops, to uh, others, uh, other pastors that are saying there's no way that's going to take place in my church. But, uh, you know, the heavy hand of government will no doubt try and come down on them. Uh, and uh, I could say to uh, to those church leaders, um, uh, I will stand alongside you. I will do what I can to help in those situations. And uh I notice that there are some church leaders, unfortunately, like the Anglican Bishop of Newcastle, who actually are saying to his priests, uh, well, um, dob in those people, you know, who, who turn up that are unvaccinated. That is an extremely unchristian way of dealing with this issue. And uh, that approach should be absolutely and thoroughly rejected. 
Well, I know that church leaders are very prayerful and considerate, uh, looking for the right wisdom in moving forward in all of these things. And uh, church leaders have been very uh, open to the idea of temporary uh, health orders and in the interests of the good health of all Australians. But uh, there are those who are saying, how far can this go? And there may be a time coming which we'll see Christian leaders speaking up more vocally. Well, it's been a great opportunity. I've, I've, I've got a line under any more calls. We won't be able to take calls. Thanks to everyone who did call in. Uh, but George Christensen, uh, good getting an update with you today. And uh, let's uh, plan another one of these before too long. Uh, Member sure. for Dawson, representing the wonderful people in the Mackay region. And uh, thanks so much for joining us today, George. Thanks, Neil. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.